Crypto Watch is presented by theconstantinvestor.com. I'm Alan Kohler, and every day my writing and podcasts put the financial world into context with a focus on the issues that matter. Join us today. It's only a dollar for the first month. And now it's time for this week's Crypto Watch. Joining me now is Jordan Michaelides, who's the head of the institutional investments at CoinJar. Well, Jordan, uh, uh, tell us what's going on. You, you're, you're in charge of institutional uh, trading at CoinJar. Tell us uh, how much there is and what, what sort of institutional interest there is in cryptocurrencies. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting. Um, I think the market in terms of volume is still really small here in Australia. Um, globally, um, as well, it's still pretty small in the scale of things. But the biggest, I mean, at, at least for 2018, I've found that this year has been a year of uh, toe dipping, I guess you could call it. Um, so what was initially a field dominated by over-the-counter brokers, um, over-the-counter traders, that may operate on behalf of some wealthy people. I've noticed little things like uh, all the big six investment banks in America now have um, a head and a department. You know, people like Goldman Sachs, I think we've got about 20 staff now. Um, and then, of course, here in Australia, you've got uh, the big four all have a technical lead for blockchain. And I suspect that that'll mean in about a year or so we could see someone leading a division for trading of the actual currencies um, as well. And then also when you speak to these over-the-counter brokers is, is who they're telling us that they're dealing with at the moment. So previously it would be uh, individual to individual trade, so acting on behalf or mediating between private high net worth individuals. But now I'm being told that a lot of institutions are actually buying um, as part of those transactions as well. So, um, you know, it's definitely because of the, the flat price, it's only been a year of investigations, I think. Um, and that has been the biggest thing that we've noticed in this market over the last year. And are we only talking Bitcoin here or the other ones as well? Um, I mean, mainly Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, you have some institutions that may be interested in specific currencies. I know that, um, you know, banks like Westpac through reInventure, through their venture capital arm, own portions of the Ripple Corporation, which is um, obviously a large uh, group of banks that run their own uh, essentially private, quasi-private public blockchain in America now. Um, but yeah, I'd say mainly Bitcoin and Ethereum is what, what they're after. And those, uh, you mentioned 20 people now in the Goldman Sachs department. Obviously, that's a very, very, very small percentage of their total employment. But what would those 20 people be doing? Um, I think based on the engagements we've had with companies like Goldman is um, research. Um, simply building their, their internal thesis and strategy as to what they do in this market. Um, everyone's different. I think there's a comparison um, there's actually a really good publication called DR, B-I-A-R, I think it's called. Um, and they cover a lot of the institutional market for crypto. And what they were doing is they made a comparison of those investment banks and what they're actually doing. So, for example, Goldman is looking at uh, leveraged trading products, whereas Bank of America is looking at custody. So I think they're just really playing around. Um, 
the way that we've engaged them in Asia is mainly through the, the desks that are in charge of fixed income commodities and CFDs. Um, and most of the time they're run out of uh, Hong Kong. And I think they're just mainly sussing out what they can do here in Australia, what the potential is, the size of the market, transaction volume, all that sort of stuff at the moment. So really, like I said, dipping their toes, more of an R&D type phase at the moment. It's very interesting looking at the charts of, um, you mentioned Bitcoin and Ethereum as being the main uh, thing, you know, things that are trading. Now, Bitcoin has been hovering between six and six and a half thousand dollars for quite a long time now. So it seems to have, in terms of price, it seems to have stabilized, whereas Ethereum has kept falling. Why do you think that is? I think the obvious thing is uh, the the relationship with these altcoins. I think um, what's happened this year is that, as you probably may remember from the trend of last year, was all about ICOs. Um, and the biggest thing this year has been people cashing out of those ICOs as soon as it becomes available, um, as well as a lack of confidence in some of the more niche products. Um, there's also been a few scams, of course, in some of these altcoins. So... I, the way I see it is people have just been cashing out and and moving their money away from, you know, Ethereum. And I think the, the founder of Ethereum was talking about this recently, that, you know, they can't necessarily rely on ICOs for the continued growth of, uh, of Ethereum. So to me, that's sort of the obvious thing. Um, there's also the fact that it's a bit younger, so it's less mature, there's less confidence in it. Uh, if you speak to any sort of uh, new investors in that institutional side, they will primarily just have an idea about Bitcoin and that's all they'll be interested in. So I think there's also a bit of brand value in it as well. Um, but yeah, that's sort of what we've noticed from our end at least this year. Yeah, well, it's interesting because you would have thought, I mean, I certainly thought uh, with all of the ICOs going on last year uh, and so many virtually all of them, based on Ethereum, uh, you would have thought Ethereum had more of a future than Bitcoin. In fact, it's turned out to not to be the case. Well, what's so funny about that is that as soon as, like, like I said, the, all these people are trying to move out of these altcoins, one of the biggest opportunities we've had from an institutional side this year is people wanting to off-ramp those coins. So what often happens is that the founding team of, of an altcoin or the initial investors, um, well, let's, let's just take the founders, for example. They're, they're paid in Ethereum or Bitcoin, essentially. That's how they raise their money. But that's because of the volatility of cryptocurrencies right now. They need to off-ramp that money into USD or AUD so that they can supply their, the development of that actual chain or token that they're creating. Um, so that's been quite a funny aspect of this is that because of the volatility of the, the altcoins and Ethereum that they need to cash out into, uh, you know, physical currency like USD or AED to, to get some cash for operations. And then there's also the speculation element. Like, as I said, you get a lot of these high net worth individuals, they're dealing with brokers that may have been hit up by someone like an Ivy coin, which is local here in Australia. And uh, as soon as it's available and listed on the exchange, they want to find a way to get the liquidity back into into cash of some kind. So 
um, yeah, I think both those elements uh, play into it as well. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of speculation as to which uh, of the cryptocurrencies will last, and you know, if any, if any become, you know, the basis of new payment systems, whether you know which of them will, um, and uh, mm. um, you know, there's been this big argument between Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash. Roger Ver sort of uh, promoting Bitcoin Cash, but its share price has been falling as well. Um, if if I can mm. call it a share price, the, the price of Bitcoin Cash has been falling. In fact. <laughs> Uh, so does that suggest to you that um, Bitcoin is prevailing over Bitcoin Cash? Um, to be honest, it doesn't suggest anything to me at the moment. The reality is that the prices haven't really changed in the last three months. If you still bought in October, November, you're still up roughly 40 to 50% um, yeah. on those coins. So it doesn't really phase me in that regard. To me, the biggest thing is just what is the use case? And for, let's say, Bitcoin, it's quite obvious to me that it's more of a store of value than it is a payments mechanism. Don't get me wrong, it's, it's, it's very easy in comparison to transferring you off via a bank, Western Union, PayPal, et cetera, pardon me, to, um, to use the Bitcoin blockchain. But to me, it's, it's based on the, the way it's being used. People are using it as a store of value of some kind, whereas other payment rails like a Bitcoin cash, um, you know, are more there for actual payment services. Um, so I think it just depends on each use case and who you believe will win in that situation. I mean, I run as well as uh, working for Coinj, I run my own little media production business, particularly focused on podcasts, and we use uh, Bitcoin cash via BitPay. So, um, you know, I think depending on the use case, it'll really depend on who succeeds and who doesn't. But um, to me, it just shows that there is a belief that these coins, currencies, digital assets, whatever you want to call them, there is some sort of value there um, simply because of what's been going on in the last few months and how the price has kept stable in that regard. You can pair it back to uh, what my, my CEO, Ashutan, calls the, the Bitcoin or crypto winter the 2013-14, where for a while they had to really trim down on staff and, and things were really tough during that period. It's very different in comparison to them. So um, we're fairly confident that this sort of shows a bit of market confidence in these sort of products. Uh, how, uh, tell me about how it's different now. Well, well, what do you mean by the it's fact that the the... the, the well, the fact that the, the volatility isn't as great, like I said, three months, you compare one to three months ago, the price is largely the same. Yet your intraday volatility can be there. And I don't doubt that at all. And I think over time that'll close. But the biggest thing we see is that over time, and as you have more of these periods, these volatile periods, what happens afterwards in the next volatile period is that that volatility has gone down another level. So, to me, that sort of reinforces the confidence in this product, in these services, that they're useful. Um, and that's the main thing I'm looking for. One of the things that uh, CoinJar does is uh, organise for um, people or allow people to spend bitcoins or, or other currencies. Mm. How, how is that? And, with, and, and uh, use ATM. So how is that going, that side of the business? Um, it's more, 
to us, it's it's sort of a benefit that we're offering to customers. I don't think anyone would sign up specifically for that, but I think for at least when we first started out, for your first adopters, your initial adopters of um, crypto products, it is a nice thing to have. Uh, we also have a rewards program now um, that we're working on building out um, with the marketing team to develop that and offer more value for people. And I think, to me, speaking to the founders of the firm, that sort of signals uh, us as more of a fintech firm. Um, you know, initially we started out in crypto. We've expanded into, you know, products like the Swipe, which is the card. Um, there's the fund as well. And over time, I think we'll we'll look towards more banking or payment service type products um, because that is sort of where where everything is at as a fintech company. You want to have a good relationship relationship with your client. You want to be able to bundle as many offerings that are that are beneficial to them, um, and that allows you to grow as a business and grow your competitive advantage. And I think the swipe card is just one part of that. It's just a nice handy little thing for people who use CoinJar. They can go and spend it on actual physical products. This is a difficult question just to finish with, Jordan, but, I mean, where do you think this is all going to be in five years' time? It's all moving so quickly. Do you, where, where, where do you – I mean, when you, when you think about where this is going to end up, if, you know, if there is such a thing as ending up, um, where do you think you'll be? I don't know. I, really, I, I don't know if I can predict the future. I know that it, it really depends on a few situations. One, whether we have a burning platform. So do we have a financial crisis globally of some kind, which a lot of people, you know, and through commentary in the media right now, uh, the, the key word I think in uh, Google Trends for recession is going up and up and up. So I think there's more talk about, you know, global recessions or local recessions and, that will really dictate how cryptocurrencies perform. I mean, the the big thing, the 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 main one of the main pitches for cryptocurrencies has been this sort of schmuck insurance, this um, completely uncorrelated asset class to the current monetary financial system. Um, and so, I think that will really determine how we go. How do people view cryptocurrencies during that sort of period? How do they view them afterwards? Will really determine whether it moves forward. My opinion, at least, is that uh, because of the economic and price advantage of these sort of technologies over a, a current payment systems, that largely it will do fairly well. But I'm not going to put any predictions out there like, you know, coins, Bitcoin is going to go to $1 million a coin like some have. But I think that will be the biggest thing is if we have a recession that it will sort of reinforce the value of these products. And over time, institutions like banks and financial advisors and so forth will start to view this as a, as a more legitimate product. Good on you, Jordan. Thanks very much for talking to us. No worries. Thanks for having me. That was Jordan Michaelides, Head of Institutional Investments at CoinJar. And now it's time for this week's Crypto Watch Market Wrap with market commentator Saeed Sadawi. The biggest news this week includes a major bug being found in the Bitcoin protocol. Lurking in the code for over two years prior to its discovery, the exploit enabling a manipulator to essentially generate more Bitcoins than the 21 million hard cap is without a doubt one of the most severe ever uncovered. 
Without any cases of a successful exploitation, however, the bug has since been patched. US retail conglomerate Walmart has reportedly announced its plans to sell vegetables tracked using blockchain technology. Built in collaboration with IBM, by September 2019, Walmart is working to create end-to-end traceability in the wake of an E. coli outbreak throughout the USA earlier this year. A report from the Australian Securities and Investment Commission, or ASIC, has detailed it stopped five Australian initial coin offerings, or ICOs, from taking place since April of this year. Without revealing names, ASIC announced infringing ICOs will be compelled to restructure their offerings to ensure compliance with Australian legal requirements. With a keen eye on restricting cases of deception to consumers, ASIC is also reportedly taking further action in respect to one already completed Aussie ICO. The Chinese cryptocurrency mining behemoth Bitmain has announced a new 7NM application-specific integrated circuit or ASIC chip. Predominantly targeting Bitcoin mining, the 7NM is said to integrate more than 1 billion transistors helping boost energy efficiency. The US Securities and Exchange Commission or SEC has announced it's begun its proceedings concerning the potential approval of the Van Eck SolidX Bitcoin ETF. In the wake of multiple delays, the SEC has since made a request for more public input on its decision. Despite the crypto community already holding their breath in hope of its approval, the SEC can reportedly delay the proceedings well into February of next year under existing regulations. And finally, news out of Japan, yet another cryptocurrency exchange has been hacked. This time for 6.7 billion yen or approximately US 60 million worth of cryptocurrency. The exchange named Zyph reportedly hackers gained unauthorized access to the exchange's wallets stealing digital assets including Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash and the largely Japanese favored cryptocurrency MonaCoin. And now onto the market wrap-up. We've had the best of both worlds over the past couple weeks. Some steady gains in both market cap and price action last week hinted at some very positive signs. Alt price action was without a doubt the major beneficiary from a lovely cash injection, with a notable mention going to Ripple shooting up over 75% in one day alone. Since last week's highs, however, we've seen a classic retracement across the board. Bitcoin's down 6% from last week's highs, of US 6800 to US 6400, currently sitting at a dominance of 52.7%. Market cap this week has painted a similar picture, currently sitting at just over US $200 billion, a 12% drop from last week's highs. However, with much of the top 100's weekly performance still sitting in green, many are up over 10%, painting a positive weekly performance for the cryptosphere. With overly negative news such as the discovery of the Bitcoin bug not triggering an expected sell-off, many participants are signaling at a potential bottom for the market. Further to this, volatility is also approaching interim lows. Time will tell, however. And finally, the majors Ethereum, Ripple, Bitcoin Cash and Litecoin are up a massive 15%, largely thanks to Ripple's crushing weekly performance in excess of 50%. And that's all for the weekly wrap-up. I'm Sayyid Sadawi, and I'll see you next time. CryptoWatch is presented by theconstantinvestor.com. Our theme music was written and recorded by Broke for free.